Amen. Amen. Isn't singing songs about our Lord and Savior uh, so heartwarming and soul lifting at this time of the year? Would you agree with that, church? God is so, so good. Um, If you do have your Bible tonight, I would ask you to please turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 9, a familiar passage uh, this time uh, of year. Now, um, one of the first signs for our family uh, that Christmas is near is the appearance of Christmas lights. How many of you in here have a family tradition or had a family tradition of going to look at Christmas lights uh, around town and just seeing the, the beauty of Christmas lights? Well, it, it seems that no matter where you look, Christmas lights will begin to appear everywhere. And then, of course, um, for those who follow it, there's the lighting of probably some of the most well-known or prominent Christmas trees around the globe. The Christmas tree in London and then the Christmas tree in downtown New York City. And dare I say, around the world, lights are perhaps probably the most common symbol that it is Christmas time. Now, it's important And it's appropriate this evening to recognize that these lights are more than just decorative. The lights at Christmas were to serve as a reminder that the world was indeed a very dark place. And we will never find our way or see our reality until Jesus Christ is our light. And before the light of Jesus was even upon the earth, there was a prophecy that was given to us in the Old Testament about this coming light, this coming Jesus. And we're going to pick up in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. And if you would please read along with me. It says, But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Amen, church? And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Now I want us to just stop right there for a moment. Because this gloom that the prophet Isaiah is talking about is really carried over from the previous chapter. I mean, Isaiah is warning the nation of Judah about the coming invasion of the Assyrians. And in the last chapter, Isaiah writes, and then they will look to the earth and they will see trouble and darkness and gloom of anguish and they will be driven into darkness. This invasion of the Assyrians would be so terrible for the Israelite people. I mean, especially for the the northern regions of the promised lands, the lands of Zebulun and, and the land of Naphtali. And in this context, in the context of this impending doom that is coming, there's this promise in the very first verse of chapter number nine, and it makes it all the more precious that this northern region around the Sea of Galilee, was most severely ravaged by the Assyrians when they invaded. And the promise is that this land that was ravaged, once seemingly esteemed by God, will one day have a special blessing. A special blessing that comes upon it. And as the Gospel of Matthew quotes, 
This specific passage as clearly fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. This is what Matthew records. He says, Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Speaking of Jesus in his earthly ministry here, showing that the prophecy is being fulfilled. And since the majority of Jesus' ministry took place in the northern area of Israel around the Sea of Galilee, God certainly did have a special blessing for that once esteemed land. Now I want you to pick up with me in verse number 3. He says that you have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as the day of Midian. And verse 5, for every boot of the tramping warrior is battle to malt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And the ministry of the Messiah is going to bring great joy and gladness to people. I mean, Jesus And his ministry was said to be like a wedding party in Matthew chapter 9. He's saying that people will rejoice according to the joy of the harvest. The the time when the hard work has paid off. when When the bounty comes off. They will rejoice as men rejoice when they divide the spoils of war. They will rejoice as though they are in the celebration of a victory. And every one of these promises, the the references to to great joy, the the breaking of the yoke of his burden, the rod uh, of his oppressors, the complete victory over all enemies has spiritual application to Jesus' work in our lives each and every day. I mean, these, these spiritual implications are, are ours in and through Jesus. Let me ask you a question, a rhetorical question. Please don't shout out loud. When in Scripture was Jesus afraid? I mean, truly afraid. When was Jesus, when in Scripture did Jesus groan under the weight uh, of the yoke of his burden? When did that happen? When did Jesus feel the sting of the rod of his oppressors? And when is Jesus' victory incomplete? The answer is never to any of those questions. It's never. Because the risen, glorified, ascended Jesus experiences none of those things. And church, the book of Ephesians tells us that as, as followers of Christ, we have been raised up together And he's made us to sit in the heavenly places in and through Christ Jesus. That means that as we are in Christ, we share in his victory. 
we share in his victory. Do you know one of my, one of my favorite portions of scripture is the book of Romans 6, 7, and 8, chapter 6, 7, and 8. Because there's so much content there that's encouraging for the believers, but there's something that Paul records for us in Romans chapter 8. He says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Meaning that we obtain his victory as a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ. We have his victory in the end. Which leads me to to come back to Isaiah chapter 9. Because I want you to see how that victory was even made possible. And probably one of the most well-known verses in this chapter. Chapter number 9 verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Man, most straightforwardly, the prophet Isaiah uses the Hebrew literary tool of repetition to emphasize something to us this evening. The child is born while the son is given at the exact same time. And in this moment, we recognize the hand of a Holy Spirit in the very specific wording that was given to us over 3,000 years ago. The glorious prophecy of the birth of our Messiah reminds us that the victory-bringing Messiah would be a man. I was talking with my wife this week as I was going back through my notes, and we were having a conversation about the fact that this prophecy specifically told us that the Messiah would be a man. If you kind of take a step back for a moment, theoretically, the Messiah could have been an angel. Or the Messiah could have been God without humanity. But in reality, neither of those options would have qualified the Messiah to be our Savior or our High Priest. None of them. A child had to be born. A son had to be given. And that's the amazing mystery of the Gospel. It's the amazing mystery of Jesus Christ that there is nothing weaker There is nothing more helpless and more dependent than a newborn baby. And for Jesus to fully identify with humanity, for him to display in his life the servant nature that is in God. Paul recorded for us in another one of his writings in Philippians chapter 2. He says this about Jesus, that he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of not just a servant, but a bondservant, the lowest form of servant. And he came in the likeness of man. And so this child would be a man, but more than a man, he was the eternal son of God. The second person in the Godhead. And what a glorious truth for us tonight. How we need a a perfect, infinite being to offer a perfect, infinite atonement for our sins. We needed Emmanuel, God with us. Just like we were singing 
Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name, it's a shelter like no other. Nothing else has the power to save except what? His name. The name of Jesus. You know, this, this Emmanuel, God with us, was described by Isaiah in such a beautiful expression of who he truly is and what he truly came to do. He said that the Messiah was wonderful. The Messiah was wonderful. The very glory of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us should really fill us with wonder. Should it not, church? I mean, I say this with all the love and respect in the world. You can never really look at Jesus and really know him and be bored. You can't. Because he is wonderful And he will fill your heart and your mind with amazement each and every time that you spend time with him. But more than just being wonderful, he said that he would be a wonderful counselor. I mean, Jesus is the only one who is fit to guide our lives. And it should be the the Christian's immediate source or resource as a counselor. You know, Jesus can help you with every single one of your problems. And I don't know about you in this this room or those of you online, but I've often found that Jesus uses the presence and the words of another Christian or a pastor to do that very thing, to be a counselor. But Jesus is the ultimate counselor. But beyond being wonderful and, and counselor, he said that Jesus would be a mighty God, a mighty God meaning he's the Lord of all creation and has all glory. He's the Lord who reigns in heaven. He's the one that's worthy of our worship and our praise. You know, it's difficult to think of a more straightforward declaration of Christ's deity than mighty God. But then Isaiah said, he's also an everlasting father. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a spiritual father for maybe those who didn't have a great dad who was still present. He was the picture of what a spiritual dad was supposed to look like. Do you know the idea in the Hebrew is that Jesus is the source or the author of all eternity? Meaning that he's the creator himself. It doesn't mean that that Jesus himself is the person of the Father in the Trinity, but he is present at the beginning of all things. He's everlasting Father. And last but not least, and man, do we need this now more than ever, he said that he is the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Meaning he is the, the one who makes peace, especially between God and man. Church, that the world needs and needs that Savior now more than ever. They need the Savior. Matthew recorded for us in Matthew chapter 4 that the people which sat in darkness saw great light, and to them which sat in the region in shadow of death, light is sprung up. Do you know when the Bible talks about darkness, it it refers to both evil and ignorance. Evil and ignorance. Our world is filled with sadness and suffering, gloom and despair. 
Uh, I mean, look at what is happening just at the time of Christ's birth. Go back and study in history. The world was filled with violence and hatred. It was filled with oppression. Families were being ripped apart, literally being ripped apart. Herod was murdering children ages two and under when Jesus was born. That sounds a lot like today, doesn't it, church? I think we all identify or can at least identify a little bit with all of the darkness that is around us each and every day. We can identify with it. And I'm not sure how you feel this Christmas, but I want to encourage you by taking a quick look at the people surrounding the Christmas story or the birth of Christ. Maybe you're in here or you're online and you're confused this Christmas like Joseph was. Maybe that's you. And if it is you, I want to encourage you to be patient because God is going to work it out. It may not be the way that you think or want, but God is going to work it out. Trust him and obey him. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're like the wise men and you're seeking. You're seeking I want to encourage you to look up, look up, lift your eyes up as the psalmist says, and God will lead you. God will lead you. Maybe, maybe you're here tonight and you're afraid like Mary. You're afraid. My encouragement to you is that God will calm your heart. He will if you let him. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're distracted like the innkeeper. Pay attention because Jesus is near. Maybe you're in here tonight and you're stuck in a routine like the shepherds. I would challenge you to leave your routine and and run to Jesus. And maybe... Just maybe you've been waiting for a long time for God to do something. And you're like Simeon or the prophetess Anna, waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't give up because God is faithful. God is faithful. He has given his son to light up our life. But here's the reality, church. Christmas contains so much spiritual truth, but so many people are still missing the light of Christmas because they're choosing to live and walk in darkness. Scripture tells us that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And so the message of Christmas is not one of condemnation, but rather a message of hope for all who will come to Christ and receive his life and his light. And so church, Christian, family member, friend in here online, there is no denying that darkness is around us, but the real danger is the darkness that's inside of us.
It is for that inward darkness that Christ came in the world to be a light. You know, one of the issues plaguing our society is that we think that we can solve the world's darkness problem. But the reality is that no one has the cure for the issue of evil and suffering. No one has the answer for what is ailing the hearts of men. We cannot fix our world's issues with more government and more technology and more money and more intellect. We do not have what it takes to change the world within us. Even some of the world's most brilliant leaders who are non-believing, non-following individuals have realized this. After communism ended in Czechoslovakia, the very first democratically elected president of the Czech Republic was Václav Havel. And he said this, he said, The pursuit of the good life will not help humanity save itself, nor is democracy alone enough. A turning to and seeking of God is needed. The human race constantly forgets that they are not God. And I believe that we all need to be reminded that this Christmas, that the only way to defeat the darkness will not come from within us, but outside of us. That there is a light outside this world, and Jesus brought that light to save us. Why? Because he is the light. You know, the text doesn't say that from the world a light came. But Isaiah 9-2 says, upon them a light has dawned. You know, there is hope and there can be peace, but it will never come from us. When Jesus died on the cross, darkness fell over the earth. And the very light of the world descended into darkness in order to bring us into God's beautiful light. You know, Christmas means that through the very grace of God and the incarnation, that peace with God is made available. It's, it's there for us. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with other people. If you are a, a note taker, I want you to write this down, that peace does not mean an absence of conflict. It means calm in the midst of a crisis. That's what peace is. Calm in the midst of a crisis. Peace is assurance in the midst of your chaos. Peace is comfort in the middle of your pain. Peace is certainty when you feel confused. You know that song we were singing just 15 minutes ago? I heard the bells on Christmas Day. That song was written by a man who could feel the darkness and that darkness almost completely overtook his entire life. His name was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. He was taking a nap one day when he heard the screams from his wife who had caught her dress on fire while sealing envelopes with hot wax. He tried in vain to put out the flames and he wrapped her in a rug. And then he even tried himself to smother the fire. And in the process, he was severely burned on his hands in his face. 
Henry's wife died the very next day, and his burns were so severe that he was unable to attend his own wife's funeral. Henry had a trademark beard that was really the result of his inability to shave, and he left it there so that it would hide the scars on his face. The very first Christmas after Henry's wife's death, he wrote in his journal, How inexpressibly sad are the holidays. A year later, Henry recorded, I can make no record of these days. It is better for me to leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. Longfellow's journal entry that year on Christmas Day said, A Merry Christmas, say the children, but that is no more for me. Another year passes, and Henry received word that his oldest son Charles, a lieutenant in the Army of the Potomac, had been severely wounded and left him nearly paralyzed. The Christmas of 1863 was silent in Henry. Wadsworth Longfellow's journal. He journaled almost every day. On Christmas Day, a year later of 1864, he was sitting in a house across the way from a church, writing when in the faint distance he could hear the cannons of the Civil War. But then all of a sudden, the church directly opposite where he was sitting started to ring the bells. And he wrote the words, of the famous Christmas poem, Christmas Bells. And I want you to listen to these words again. A man who was in a deep depression for years, he said, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Then rang the church bells more loud and deep. And I thought to myself, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, and the right shall prevail because of peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Do you know, church, that the message of peace on earth must still be proclaimed today? Because we are surrounded every day by people who are still living in darkness. We're surrounded by people who have no peace, no hope. And those of us, those of us who have, have our souls illuminated by the light of Christ, those of us whose lives have experienced the love of Christ and know the peace of God, we've been called to share that light. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians a challenge, an encouragement to the, the Christian. And he said this in chapter 4, And whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake, 
For God who commanded the light to be shown out of darkness has shone in our hearts or shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so tonight, in order to help us illustrate what I have been speaking about, I'm going to ask if you would please get out your candles. We're going to be turning out the lights here in just a moment. If you do not have a candle, there's a basket sitting right there in the back. And if you're afraid to give your child a candle on the connection point, there's battery-operated lights. Travis, I'm going to ask if you would come forward and Steve, if you would come forward as well. If you would just stand right here with me for a moment. The Bible tells us that the world was in complete darkness. The Bible tells us that the world was in complete darkness. Until the very light of Christ appeared. This candle here in the front is the representation of that. And so Steve and and Travis, I'm going to ask that you would carefully light your candles and walk down your respective sides and light the candle of the individual on the end. Just a note, those of you who have the unlit candle, please tip your candle into the light so we don't pour hot wax on somebody. The Bible tells us that the light of Christ soon spread. And that light continued to spread. And at this time, if I could have our worship uh, vocalists to the platform... For those of you who have been here with us for the last several weeks, you've learned through the book of Acts that that light continued to spread around the world. And it went across the land and the sea as the message of salvation began to cover all of the world. And tonight, we're going to ask you to stand as we sing a song that is the very representation of why we celebrate Christmas. It is a familiar Christmas carol, one that you probably heard us singing as you were walking in, but one that tells of the very birth of Christ, and it is the song, Silent Night. And so I'm going to ask at this time if you would please stand with us as we we sing.